0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 97 for Disrupt TV. As you can tell, I am here on my own this week. Bala uh, Ashar is busy at the Vatican uh, at a special dinner. So he'll be here next week. Uh, we've got an exciting show, exciting lineup. We're talking everything about anything, about innovation to commerce to billing uh, to what's happening around the world. But I'm Ray Wong, CEO and uh, founder of Constellation Research uh, and a co host here at Disrupt TV show. And we've got some wonderful guests today. Our first guest is Rhonda Vittier. Um, hi, Rhonda. How are you doing?
1: Hi, Ray. How are you? Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, excited to have you. And, and Rhonda is a seasoned technology professional, um, but more point, she's the president of thrive She's part of the executive leadership team, uh, but she's been doing a lot of different things from being the chief technology officer at Estee Lauder to being a mentor and leader in STEM to really helping global organizations through not just mergers, but also technology strategy, and helping organizations with not just innovation, but also leadership across the board. Uh, She's been one of the Global 100 Leaders for Innovation and Leadership, with Stevie's Awards for Global Business Leadership, and she's also worked in lots of different industries, from fashion to telecom to financial services, to outsourcing, insurance, retail, prestige, beauty, and and now healthcare. So uh, we are happy to have you here, so welcome to the show, Rhonda.
1: Thank you, Ray. I'm excited to be here with you. It's an honor to be on your show.
0: So, hey, thanks a lot. So, you just took on a new role as president of Thrive. I want you to tell us a little bit about why you made the shift to healthcare and how this aligns with your personal goals.
1: Oh, great question. And, you know, healthcare is a hot topic as we all know in the world. And why did I make the shift? Because I believe in the vision and mission of making a difference around the world in healthcare is such a hot topic. It was a, it was a big shift, right? As you know, as you picked up on that from different sectors, so thank you for that because everyone's saying why did you make the shift from retail Estee Lauder companies? Um, that was a fun environment. Um, there's more to do where I landed and I'm all about changing, make a difference. And really making a difference and impact around the world in a bigger way. And healthcare is a hot topic. I don't want to talk about political views on this show, but um, the way the world is going, it is a very hot topic and pulling different companies together and streamlining them. I'm all about change, as you know, Ray. I love to make a change and difference in the world.
0: No, and it's a big shift. Um, I'm I'm actually familiar with the company because I actually, believe it or not, I actually have a master's in public health and health finance and management. So the ref cycle and that whole piece is is really important, especially getting that right for folks. Um, And you've also been a big advocate for like health and wellness. Um, And so and and really tying that back to helping people be successful in Mm -hmm. leadership positions. Talk a little bit more about that and, and, and how that ties back into your personal leadership philosophy.
1: Sure. Great question. Thank you for asking. My personal uh, leadership philosophy is if you can't take care of yourself, how are you going to lead a team? Number one, making sure you're healthy. Everyone always thinks, right, they need to work 24 by 7, 7 days a week to get ahead. And, you know, oftentimes early on in your career, absolutely, you have to put a lot of hours. You have to, as an executive... But more importantly, you have to take time to balance yourself. And I'm all about health and wellness on the team. We have an environment that is very healthy. Um, I will have meetings on the treadmill, Ray, at four or five in the morning. I get things done that way with have our you vendors. Just been and partners. Absolutely. Training for Ironmans with the team. And I really believe in the vision and mission, health and wellness in your personal and corporate life is important. And um, I'm a big proponent of that. I believe in the corporate athlete being a corporate athlete in the boardroom, out of the boardroom, and trying to balance all that is very important. And to my, my vision and mission, I make better decisions sharper when I'm healthy and working out.
0: No, that's great. Uh, one of our analysts, Holger Mueller, I don't know if you see him. He's like, he's always on the soul cycle. So where are we going? Like every event we're at, he's got the soul cycle team following him around. So, <laughs> so he's great. literally ultimately training. But you've also done like 50 marathons or half marathons. Is that true? It's true. Over 50, uh,
1: actually 56 total races, uh, doing two Ironmans this year, um, which is a big deal. One coming up May 5th and a lot of triathlons, but, uh, the races, half marathons and marathons and 56, but the Ironmans are on top of that. It's true.
0: Wow. That's impressive. I just went through airports these days. It's a lot easier (laughs) getting about (laughs) 30,000 steps flying through the, uh, Flying through airports, but uh, when I'm home, it's, it's a whole different story. So, but, you know, you've been in a lot of organizations, and, and when we think about like, you know, the, the change that you're talking about, right? There's, there's the mental aspect, there's getting the culture right, there's making sure that, you know, that the tech works, um, but when you think about the change, right, what's the hardest part in getting an organization to be successful when you're going through this kind of change?
1: Um, I would say the mental model shifting folks' minds is harder than the technology. The change aspect, people often forget that it's important to get your stakeholder management on board. They, they tend to forget that. And it's a very important aspect of any transformation. Anything that you want to do um, is about our stakeholder management and not forgetting the people part of it.
0: So stakeholders for you, is it, is it the board or is it the employees or is it like, wh- how do you typically define that?
1: Um, Great question. The board, the executive leadership, and the team. The team has to come along the journey. I'm not one to do it in a vacuum. We have to actually educate everyone what we're doing, why we're doing it, and what the business outcomes are.
0: Okay, so it's really about getting the teams to see the vision, make that shift uh, to help them be successful.
1: Yes. And and about the executives around and why we're doing it and why you're asking for the money you're asking for.
0: <laughs> it is tough. It is a tough change. So when you think about like what, what you're doing today, like on, on the healthcare side and in the space that you're in, I mean, it's a very competitive environment, right? If you think about just where healthcare is today, uh, make the shifts, are you helping, I mean, in your role, are you helping your own teams get there or is it about helping your clients get there?
1: Both, actually. Actually, it's a good balance. I feel like a teeter-totter. So um, about a month into it, is, it's, all, it's all about both. And you cannot forget one without the other. A lot of leaders tend to forget that.
0: Got it. Okay. So we're, uh, we're also spending a lot of time trying to understand leadership and leadership styles. And as you're on the show, we get a lot of startup leaders. We get a lot of CEOs, executives, really talking about their leadership models. Um, so tell us what makes a great uh, mentor for you and what makes a great mentee?
1: Um, A great mentor for me is one about communication, transparency, tells you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear as a mentor. Has the battle scars to actually that's been in the sleeves and has done it. Not someone that's just talking, um, but actually has a proven track record, which is very important. Um, And an actual leader and someone I really look up to that's been there, done that, and um, can help me make the next step of the career a mentee is very important and this is where a lot of folks get it wrong a mentee when you when you get into a mentor relationship one of my biggest advice is to say to someone will you be my mentor those are the most powerful words you can ask someone and the mentee needs to actually say that to make it final right and make it an agreement not just one that's, oh, just casual, let's just talk and check in and, but someone who actually comes in and it's prepared, has questions, but has fun along the way. Don't get me wrong, not too strict and rigorous. We always want to have fun in life, which a lot of folks forget that we do. We are here for a reason to have fun and um, have a mission. So a mentee is one that follows up, communicates and you check in with them and, but very formal goals, set those goals.
0: Okay. Any good mentors for you so far in your career?
1: I do. I have a lot of good mentors in the financial services, um, in the military, um, very good mentors, and I look up to them. Very, um, they're they're all male. They're they're all they're all male, to be honest. So, and and I think all of them.
0: Well, it's your job to pay it forward, so you'll be like a mentee for some, your mentor for someone else. Yes,
1: exactly. I I hope so. That's my goal.
0: Well, you know, you've said this before in the past. I mean, you're a big uh, proponent in, of empowering and championing uh, females in all different leaders and leadership levels. Um, and, you know, but what what works, right, to do that in terms of setting the right model, in terms of helping others uh, get to the same impact?
1: Um, really, you asked the most insightful questions, right? Um, what works is fully transparent and been there, done that. So when someone approaches, I can honestly say that I have grown up in multiple industries. Thank you for pulling that out. Purposely made the moves in different sectors and to become more well-rounded. And I think that's important as what works is to be well-rounded and not pigeonhole yourself in in a specific vertical and to help others. I believe in paying it forward and helping others. I really do, it comes back around.
0: Makes sense. So. So you're in the New York area, and when you think about, I mean, the tech, the startup scene there, and you think about what's in the Atlanta area as well, which is also pretty big on on the tech side, Mm -hmm. um, Seeing in terms of like new types of innovation, like where do you see the trends that are happening, not just with like, you know, the startups, uh, but also in just technology companies, everyone's a technology company, it's kind of where we're headed. But some of the things that you thought were most interesting over the last 12 months.
1: Some of the most interesting of the last 12 months in the New York area is a lot of folks are moving out, They're down into down into the city and moving out on the burbs. So you have your Brooklyn Heights, you have down near Wall Street, you have a lot of folks that are tendency to be uptown moving downtown. And why is that? Um, more recruiting, more people with the commutes more more hip folks tend to live down there ray and um that actually agile get it done and it's more of a recruiting bed so that's been a lot of interesting atlanta i'm just getting to know so i'm going to count on some friends and family there to get to know and see more um so i i'm getting my feet wet there so um, i'll be able to answer that question more but new york has been very very fascinating a lot of globalization more companies coming in um and I would say you have the Silicon Slopes in Utah, Ray, as you know. Utah's a hotbed. <laughs> I've been seeing that. I don't want to underestimate how what I've learned from that area just in the last couple of weeks on how hotbed that is with the Silicon Valley, but how that's transitioning into New York.
0: Oh, do you have a big team in uh, Utah as well? Yes. Yes. Ah, oh, got yeah. Silicon Slopes has been picking up a lot. A lot of folks are moving in from California in that area. And one of the things that we did see is that. Um, because I mean, it started with a bunch of you know companies that started out there in the past, uh, um, from like thinking about the, uh, the, the the there's a company that did uh, storage uh, software storage, and then of course the amateur folks, and it's been spreading out, right? And you're seeing that uh, happen. They they have their big event. Uh, I think usually I think around end of December. Like so there's a big Silicon Slopes event that they do that brings all the tech companies together. But it's been growing very very fast, and there are a lot of startups there. Uh, and, and the other area around Salt Lake that makes it interesting is the fact that um, be- because of the uh, Church of Latter-day Saints there, um, they have the most global workforce. So these are folks that have actually been like the missions in countries uh, for like two years, three years. They all speak multiple languages. Um, they understand the cultural aspects of it. And so like, it's, like Salt Lake City is actually a, a wonderful global center. Uh, for tech, uh, at least what we've been saying.
1: So. Yes, and I agree with you. I, and when you're asking that question, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that area now too. And I think a lot of folks don't haven't been uh, have a lot of awareness about it. So thank you for bringing that up.
0: Yeah, and then the skiing's great too. You can't. Yeah, the skiing, can't... <laughs> <about the> sports. <laughs> so it's uh, it's definitely a good, a good place for that. So okay, well that, that's kind of fun. Um, we're. You know, when we're thinking about, um, talking about, like, you know, innovation trends and other things that that you're seeing in the the marketplace, um, if you think through, like, you know, like the last, like, three to five jobs, what are some of the technology shifts that you've seen that have really impacted business?
1: I would say that technology is leading now. The outcomes perspective um, in the robotics section on how we're transforming the end-to-end consumer journey has been a fascinating. How our banking has been fascinating. How mobility, leading mobile first over the last years, has been very fascinating. So, from a different sector perspective, and then how we um, how we pay for things and find everything is is great. So it's been the world is changing, right it's about how quickly can we keep up with it
0: no it's definitely a big shift uh, that we're, we're seeing in the marketplace. Uh, so I' a question for you back to uh, other ones is really around leadership and, and leadership styles. Uh, we know a lot of people that, that have worked with you, worked for you, uh, worked around you, and you know what, what makes a great team when you put one together? what's important for folks to have and elements for people to think about
1: mm, it's, Everything is about the team um, it's not about the word I, it's about we. So personalities are everything. You don't want two people that are alike on a team. You want different thought processes. You want how their attitudes are different and how people balance each other out. So from what makes a good team is one that's open, transparent, honest, their attitudes, competitiveness, and then also willing to take the mountain and, and lead with results. And I look for folks that are all different, all unique, because you do not want the same person, their personality twice on your team.
0: <laughs> no, it's good to have a balance. Uh, you know, at our event, we always have uh, Dr. Janice and folks have, did you meet Dr. Janice? Did you get to meet yes, her? Yes, she
1: was fabulous with her book.
0: <laughs> yes, so so we always have Dr. Janice and, and she does uh, this thing called teamability and it's it's really important for us because we've used that inside our organization, culturally to match folks to uh, what they do well, as well as uh, culturally to bring on the right types of people for for the type of organization we are. Um, And it's really important to make sure you get the right characteristics of, uh, you know, having the right balance of uh, team ability aspects and attributes. So Mm -hmm. so we definitely put them in that place. So
1: cool. It's all about the team.
0: (laughs) Definitely in that place. Um, Anything on your end that, uh, that when you think about like Going back to the concept of like leaderships, teams, and mentors, um, are there things that, you know in your experience, that you would tell someone new, like, like in their 20s, like just starting out in their first job or even their second job, to do that would make a big difference 20 years later?
1: Be mobile. Get out of where you uh, live abroad. Um, Make sure you take the hard uh, assignments. Live in New York at least for a year. Everyone in their life should live in New York City at least for a year, no matter where you are in your point in life. And I would encourage you, I can't say this enough to go international.
0: Are you originally a New Yorker?
1: I am not originally a New Yorker.
0: Ah, where are you from originally?
1: Um, My family's from Italy and then Washington DC.
0: Ah, okay. No, no. New York is definitely a good spot. So definitely work there. Well, this has been wonderful. And and for folks who are trying to uh, get to hold of uh, Rhonda, you can follow her on Twitter at Rhonda, R-H-O-N-D-A, V-E-T-E-R-E, and an H at the very, very end. Uh, You can catch her and catch her insights there. Thank you so much for being on the show, Rhonda.
1: Thank you, Ray, for having me. Thanks, everyone.
0: All right. Hopefully see you next week.
1: Yes, you will.
0: All right. Hey, bye-bye. Thanks, Ray. Very, very, very cool. So One of the top, uh, one of our Business Transformation 150 winners, Rhonda Vittier. Great to have her on the line. We've also got some shout-outs here uh, on the chat. So if you're on the chat, you can catch uh, Jay Farrow. You can follow him at J-A-Y-F-E-R-O-O. He's on the chat, and uh, you can definitely say hi to him. Uh, He's he's popping up here. Uh, And we also got some comments here from... Rod Rigolibus, uh saying, is it possible to exchange New York for San Francisco or London? Not a big fan of New York. Well, I don't know. You, you've got to do New York at least once. Uh, so having done New York, it's, uh, it's very good. So we've got our next guest, uh, Dennis Wall, kind of New Yorker, New Jersey, uh, splitting between coasts <laughs> from what I can tell. Uh, Dennis Wall is I spent this, my fair,
2: parents fair share of time in New York.
0: <laughs> I, you know, we all did. It's, uh, and especially I, I did it like in the late 80s, early 90s too. That was, that was kind of a little brutal, a little somewhere between the uh, Giuliani uh, transformation of New York. So uh, yeah. <laughs> it was a little brewing. But hey, we've got Dennis Wall. High over there. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Ray. Dennis Thanks is, for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, we're happy to have you here. Dennis is the CEO of Billing Platform. Um, he's, the, uh, he's been there for a while, but he was previously, if you remember him, a lot of folks do, from Cloud Sherpas, which is the folks that were really early getting cloud, being evangelists on the cloud side and uh, doing technology advisory services uh, for that area. but. Uh, yeah, you've been around for a quite a time in the cloud. You've uh, done some great stuff. You've had triple-digit revenue growth um, when Accenture bought you in 2015. So congratulations on that. Uh, but before that, you know, you. Dennis was also another founder. He's a serial entrepreneur at Okir, a, cl- a global cloud service provider that was also acquired by Fujitsu in 2007. So, but uh, tons of experience, tons of experience in software. We're excited to have you here talking a little bit about your new organization, what you're doing, and a little bit of uh, what's happening. Uh, in the world of commerce and new business models so let 's start with that, so you can follow Dennis as well at d e n n i s w a l l an early Twitter adopter, obviously. welcome to the show <laughs> thanks for having me, Ray. I really appreciate it well hey, looking thanks. forward to today 's conversation Hey, thanks for being here, and I want you to talk a little bit about. Um, you know the company, the founder behind the company, what was that pain point around what 's going on with the uh, billing platform and, and and the need that you 're trying to solve because it 's not like people haven 't invented billing solutions in the past so
2: <laughs> so it 's pretty funny you say that i'll i'll i 'll mention uh leo solomon and and Nathan Shin shortly as well, but I was talking to leo the the day before yesterday as we were getting ready as I was getting ready for for this and uh you know if you if you think about whatever you perceive to be the world's oldest profession, billing was probably about ten minutes behind that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, your minds run really quickly, folks. <laughs> keep, keep right. <laughs>
2: so you know, you're, but you're right. I mean, everyone um, and everyone generates bills, and everyone has processes and different types of technology in place to support that. But, you know, I didn't come from the quote-to-cash space, and I, I came originally from the, the world of CRM, which, you know, I, I still think there's the concept of the customer experience and customer journey, but um, kind of a new area of that journey. And uh, it's amazing to me how complex and rigid, or, or frankly, just broken most of the technologies and or Organizations that are out there trying to support these processes. So, when when you when you take that and you marry that to the disruption that's happening across any kind of market, you know, you talk about kind of the really traditional ones like the Uber or um, talk about Airbnb. I mean, AWS is now billing by the second, right? I mean, it's 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 amazing to me that more enterprises aren't searching for greater agility around what you know everyone's referring to now as monetization. So, you know, investing in solutions that will help drive competitive advantage, provide customers with an amazing experience by giving them options and how they can consume and pay for all sorts of goods and services. But Leo Solomon and Nathan Shin, um, who are the founders of the company, they came from the telco space Um, and, you know, anybody that's in billing that. Has been around billing for a while. Has pretty much come from the space. In.
0: Everyone in billing did come from the telco space, right? It's <laughs> quad play, right? I got to get quad play. How does that work? I'm selling a freaking phone. Some minutes are here and data, right? You can build me a system that works.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know they they're they're engineers and they were involved in some really complex and 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 a, a lengthy both implementations of, of you know custom builds of solutions as well as implementations of applications. You know the the really big old legacy guys. Not to mention any names, but you know most everybody knows who the big old legacy guys are.
0: Our, our buddy um, on the next show actually it came from that, so we got all that. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> He's dying to jump in. <laughs> so.
2: well you know i i think you know they basically they decided they were going to be the guys to make this an easier problem to solve and rightly or wrongly it wasn't about you know solving a specific thing it wasn't about solving subscriptions for example it was how do we create a solution that will enable a company to support any kind of monetization problem and i think it's that sort of holistic view while you know it moderated our growth in the early years has really paid off for us now because in the past 12 because you know billing is complex and you need to get the right foundational architecture you need to have the right technology in place and um in the past 12 to 18 months or so we've gone from a company who was you know the the best kept secret to um earning recognition from amazing research analyst firms like constellation research um <laughs> um, and from our customers, and you know as a nice byproduct, growing and and really enhancing revenue.
0: No, no, we did take a look at a lot of different firms, and you guys were on the constellation shortlist, so congratulations, I, I think your, your customers thank you the story better than. Uh, a lot of other customers in terms of the types of problems they're trying to solve. Um, the chat line is kind of hilarious. We're seeing some very interesting conversations. Uh, Mike, next, <laughs> he's like, let's not talk about mediation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> billing mediation issue. Uh, we just want to, he worked at Ambox for a little bit. And uh, Jay Farrow is like, oh, yeah, wounds are fresh. So uh, lots of interesting. <laughs> chat. But hey, while we're jumping on this, I mean, we, we should talk more about, you know, on the, on the billing side, right? Um, it, it's a lot more right we've got these new digital business models and and they're transforming things people who are selling products yeah. are not selling services right the services guys are not just selling services you're buying an experience an experienced guy's not even selling experiences sometimes you're subscribing or purchasing or expecting an outcome right and 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 those things are all priced very very differently and and way way back we we actually had one of our clients uh was ge power and and we're talking about how they sell and they sell these big power units and so they went for selling big power units and power plants for hundreds of millions of dollars to you know selling like megawatts per hour or two. we even got it down to the point like imagine what it would be like if you bought an electron it was a green electron and it was you know 70 <laughs> green at peak between the hours of one and four how would you bill for that and they're like holy crap what do i do now so
2: well uh, you know To to your point, we were talking to a – and you know I'm not a technologist, so to speak, Ray. But, um, you know, we were talking to a chip provider that was saying, you know, we want to turn this more into a usage-based model where, you know, if our chip can support 15 processes – we only want to enable five, and if you want to let them do ten processes or fifteen processes, you know, the question then becomes like, can they actually control their chip to make it do that? And then how do they figure out a way to charge for it? You know, like, and I think that's a really good point, which is you've got companies with these new business models where the relationships are recurring, and customers, you know, only want to pay for what they're using, and companies are still trying to figure out not only what to measure of their various offerings, goods, and services. But, um, you know, I think in trying to figure that out, they're going to make a lot of mistakes. Um, They're going to experiment a lot. They're going to try and and fail and try and be successful. But with all of those things, you want to be able to do it kind of very quickly and with a lot of agility, um, which is kind of where our kind of goals and objectives lie. But we have a, I mean, good example Farm Credit Services of America. I mean, hundred-year-old company, a couple of hundred billion of assets under management, and they started up a, a new business entity, um, which was you know essentially being able to provide accounting services to farmers as a service. And, you know, it was a question of do they somehow try to re-engineer all of these old systems that they had to try and support this new business model that was emerging and growing very quickly, or were there tools like ours that they could put in place that would enable them to not only um, get the solution up and running very quickly, be able to support the, the the high growth, but at the same time, as it started to mature, be able to very quickly make changes along the way.
0: Yeah. And, and a lot of the challenge is the fact that, you know, as, as we get to digital monetization, right, people are afraid to either leave too much money on the table or make it too complicated, right? Uh, and so you get that dichotomy that always that happens about them, keeping it simple where you leave money on the table or, or getting very, very precise and complex and making it very, very complicated. And, and that's the challenge, not just on the billing side, but also helping people try to figure out how, how to get to the right uh, monetization platform. So now startups have actually done this. They've been funded as feature companies, right? I I can't believe there's some companies like, get $40 million in funding for like being a feature, right? It's like unbelievable. Yeah. But that happened. (laughs) Um, And then other companies now are starting to go down the the platform, right? And uh, as we can tell from your name-building platform, um, what makes you guys a platform and what makes it different?
2: That's a great question because this has actually come up in conversations both with analysts and with customers where um there you know there there can there can be confusion right so we we call ourselves billing platform you know i guess i don't want to mean that you, I, I that that shouldn't imply that we're starting with a blank slate you know and we're giving you tools and then you know go have at it and build whatever you like i mean when you think about the core of of billing, I mean, when you think about the the collection, the mediation, the rating, the invoicing, and and frankly, you know, even you know, CPQ and RevRec, we have those core billing functions on billing platform. They're they're there. They're you know out of the box, so to speak. Where where we kind of where we kind of turn into this or try to kind of Uh, uh, emphasize this platform concept is the extensibility. So it's a metadata-driven platform. So, you know, if you want to extend this platform to support, you know, we have a company that is doing uh, inventory management on our platform. Um, We have a company, uh, Floor & Decor, a big box retail store, and they're doing, uh, which I think is a really cool customer experience thing. They're not technically using us even for the core billing as much as they're using us to do, um, credit checks for contractors that come in, um, to, you know, buy, uh, you know, flooring. Uh, so you have a contractor that comes in that, you know, needs to, needs to make sure that they've got a credit line to cover whatever they're going to purchase. And, you know, our system is managing the interaction between, you know, does this person have enough credit? Can we approve him? And can we do all of that with just clicking a button and validating that it all works? So, um, you know, it's, it's those kinds of concepts where it's not just being able to do the core functions, but being able to extend beyond the core functions um, very simply and easily.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense. And, and, and we see that. So you're doing a lot more than billing then, right? It sounds like on, on the back end here, we, we, you're basically helping organizations, you know, restructure the, the, the back office areas so that they can actually make billing happen or modernize some of the back office functions so that they can actually look at monetization in a different way.
2: Yes, um, you know, I've been in the I've been in the cloud technology space for a very long time, and it's been pretty interesting to watch the evolution of it. I mean, I was I was going into meetings with Salesforce.com back in 2004 when they would do their whole presentation around no software and and uh, and you know on-demand software and. Literally, you get to the end of the conversation and, and the IT guy in the room is saying, can you help me to understand what kind of servers and infrastructures I need to, infrastructure I need to run this? <laughs> Which, you know, you, you, you go to that extreme. And then, you know, I, I, think, I think, Ray, you probably would have remember this fondly. There was a point in time where companies looked at customer support and service as something that they could never move to the cloud because it was too mission critical. Um, you know, now we have companies that are literally extending beyond, you know, the front office functions into the back office, and and I think there's there's a, a lot of exciting opportunities. You've got you know companies like Salesforce and Oracle that are building out you know billing capabilities. You've got a number of different companies doing CPQ and RevRec, and you know, I I'm just very excited about this area. I I'm really happy about what we're doing right now and what the potential is, but um. You know, I, I think there's a lot of promise here.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I, I love this billing part and I love the monetization part because it really gets companies to think about different types of business models. And especially when you're in the midst of doing digital transformation and, and really thinking about, and, and for us, digital transformation means a little bit something different than, than most organizations. We look at changing the way you engage and also changing the business models. And when you do that, you, you yeah. get to some very, very interesting interactions that are there. Now, are you guys, yeah. you have recorders in Denver, right? Yeah. So what's the start-up yeah? I got a little bit of a commute? Uh, you're doing a commute, yes. What's the startup scene like in Denver? Uh, do you see it growing? Do you see it shrinking? Is there more enterprise more consumer? I mean, it's less telco these days. I mean, it's less manufacturing. But what's changed for you guys?
2: So you know, I would. I I, I don't know that I could be the. Uh, the, the omniscient all knowing of, of the entire Denver scene, but I certainly can tell you what my experience has been. Um, Denver's amazing. (laughs) Uh, You know, you, you go there in in the, in the middle of winter and you get a 60 degree day. And you know, what is it? Something like 310 out of 365 days out of the year, it's sunny. I mean, it's, 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 it's just, it's a, it's a great place to be. There's all sorts of outdoor activities, you know, just generally a great place. And while, you know, Denver may not be too excited about this, uh, about the rising cost of everything. It is still far more favorable than either coast. <laughs> um, there, there is a pretty, you know, active investing in VC community, and there's been a lot of inbound interest from that investor community about, you know, who we are and what we're doing. I mean, when it was time for us to look for funding, you know, our first stop was the the investor from my previous. Uh, venture, uh, a company called Columbia Capital, but because um, there are you know, a lot of great people and good trusted relationship and everything else. But you know, I think the one thing that I've been really pleasantly surprised about, and I can't, I don't know that this necessarily happens in other places or not, but we've gotten connected to a number of leaders in tech startups in the Denver area that have been just so gracious with their time, you know, to be able to go talk to somebody that isn't necessarily within your industry in your vertical and say, you know, this is the pain I'm having. And do you have any ideas? <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's been great to, to be able to do that and, 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 you know, get some real engagement and support.
0: No, we've definitely seen a rising tech scene there. And, uh, you know, we've got Aubrey, uh, our show producer out in Denver as well. So uh, we're we'll uh, let's pick up. So, so, one last question, and and this is one that just lots of folks have been trying to understand, and it just in general, and whenever in the show, it's um, who who are good mentors, who have been good mentors to you. What are great, you know, yeah. leaders, um, you know, and 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 do you have mentees as well? So,
2: I'm I'm jealous of the people that can say I have a mentor, and his name is Fred, and he's the guy, and it's you know tied up in this nice little bow. You know, I've I've been fortunate enough to work with a number of great people who. know i think i've learned a little bit from each of them and some things i want to emulate and some things i want to avoid (laughs) um but you know and and what i mean by that i've got a you know there's there's one guy that i worked really closely with who had amazing instincts and he could see three steps ahead every time just could could read a room you just had really great instincts and then you know someone else that i worked with that was entirely data driven like everything was about the spreadsheet and capturing and analyzing that data and you know, you take a little bit from both. At our stage, I don't want to be buried in spreadsheets all day, but I've come to really appreciate the value of data and how you can leverage that to help recognize trends and inform how you plan and drive decisions. But you know, if if I had to highlight a few specific things that have really stuck with me, um, you know, one is know what you're good at, and, and that's not an easy thing to, to do. Um, and then make sure that you get good people around you that can do the things you're not good at. <laughs> And, 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 you know, as a quick corollary to that, know what your teammates or your team members are good at and what they're not good at, because if you expect them to do something the way you do it, you're going to be really disappointed and (laughs) both people are going to be frustrated. (laughs) Um, So I think, I think that's one. I think another is, uh, I think it's pretty important to manage as a, as a, as a leader, it's really important to manage your emotions. Um, it doesn't mean that you won't get emotional, but you need to think about kind of what's causing your reaction, empathize with the person that you're associated to or the party that you're associated with. You, And if you're going to demonstrate emotion, do it with intent. I mean, if you're going to lose your temper. Do it because you felt like that was the right action to drive a specific outcome. Um, but I think it's really important to try to look through a lens with, with, with no emotion and then and be able to make kind of uh, thoughtful decisions. And I guess last but not least, if I'm sharing three there, I've had, you know, this is my third company and the first two were really successful. And um, I I don't think that there's a single right answer as to how to be a successful startup. (laughs) I mean, you should, and and you can, you should read the books and ask the questions and seek guidance from people who have been there and done that. But I I think the one common thread uh, through all of my experiences is that It was a team of people that were committed, that worked very, very hard, and and definitely had a little bit of luck along the way. Wow.
0: Hey, you know, there's always a lot of luck. So many people work hard, and once in a while you could use some of that. So it's uh, definitely (laughs) there. No. This has been great. Thanks for sharing your insights, Dennis. I, I think we've gotten some uh, you know, great insights on what's happening. We all know this big shift that's happening on the digital side uh, requires the monetization to occur. Uh, definitely something that we're, we're, we're talking about. But more importantly, just thanks for sharing your insights and, and advice on, on leadership. Uh, it's, it's one of the important things to everybody on the show as we're all learning, all growing. And uh, yeah, we're here with Dennis Wall. So CEO of buildingplatform.com. So you're an entrepreneur. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Ray, I really appreciate it. See you soon. So, wow, so we've gone from healthcare rev cycle, which is like billing, which is nthrive, to a billing platform, which is truly the platform, to now the commerce aspects, and we're gonna bring on uh, Mike Nee. So as we talk about Mike, I'm gonna do his intro and his bio, and for those of you following on Twitter, um, please follow at Disrupt TV show uh, before we start So our next guest is Michael Nee, CMO of Rich Relevance. Uh, He's basically there covering marketing, strategy, partner, and ecosystem development. Um, Basically, he's got everything from brand to demand gen to community to expanding markets. I'm blushing. Mike's been around for a while. 20 years of experience leading marketing and strategy for organizations from Avangate to Amdocs, which we're talking about, to uh, OnePage as a startup, to Oracle, PeopleSoft, um, and, of course, not only just a startup guy, big company guy, but also fun guy to hang out with when you're talking about commerce or anything intellectual. So, (laughs) hey, welcome
3: to the show, Michael. Hey, you know, I couldn't be happier to be. You know, after seeing you and Vala just having way too much fun on the show together, I knew (laughs) I just had to find a way to get myself in here. So I'm just glad uh, to have an opportunity to share some time with you guys. Well,
0: awesome. And you can follow Mike on Twitter at M-I-K-E-N-I. So so we're going to talk commerce, right? This is one of of my favorite topics and definitely what, what you guys are doing. Uh, commerce is massively changing, and we just talked about new types of business models that are there. Um, where do you see the future going with commerce? Because people always talk about it as physical versus digital versus whatever, but, but it's a lot broader than that. Well, you know, the thing is, when you think about the trends,
3: uh, you know, your audience, of course, of all of them are gonna know all these things, right? We know the product and services are increasingly commoditized, and even if you're changing the business models of you know, productizing services or you know, making service, products into services, you know, these are just one aspect of really uh, what is increasingly becoming just very easy to deliver at this point in time. And hence, a lot of transparency, a lot of uh, a lot of commoditization going on out there, and a lot of pressure being felt by the brands and retailers that we all work with. And clearly, too much choice, too much content, and really not enough time, which is becoming more and more uh, the watchword I think we all have, especially if you start dealing with consumers. You know, couple that with the rise of digital touch points that increasingly define how your customers perceive and engage with the brand, you know, I think we have a, a real interesting melting pot that's really pushing what I think is one of the big trends that I'm seeing this year, but also something that we're all going to have to recognize is not the final answer, which is this idea of frictionless commerce. Um, you know, this is where so many businesses that we work with first start when they think about all this pressure and they say, well, I've got to be like Amazon. You know, I've got to get more frictionless. I've got to put more choices out there. Uh, I have to have more content. You know, hit every customer through every channel right? many channels become the watchword.
0: I'm yeah, no,
3: this guy hit it all, right? You need to the eye to focus on guided navigation just so I can get them to order faster, right? Check out Amazon on your mobile app. The first five boxes are all things that you, you didn't do, you know, you know, things that you may be interested in, uh, things that people like you who view this thing, right? These are all things that just just table stakes, just table stakes. I mean, at the end of the day, frictionless commerce is just a starting point. And I think this is where we've been educating a lot of folks we work with that this race to the bottom in pricing and frictionlessness uh, is really one of the, I think, challenges that's gonna face folks going, uh, coming up very soon. And this is where we see, you know, really, the drive. We see the, 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 that delivering memorable experience is really the new value driver. Clearly, it has to be coupled with the business model and how you package it. But you know, when you think about how you increasingly start to engage with the type of services, products, and brands, and that whether brands still matter, right? The engagement you have, the experience you start to have with it is really not only driving conversion, but increasingly driving whether you have the top of mind share to be at the point, you know, whether to think of you at the point of need, especially when people can just click or call out what they want to buy next, which is leading more to this challenge that more brands and retailers hit, which is this gap, this experience gap that's really forming uh, in terms of how they approach
0: customers today. So so the, you, you made a great point. And, and when we think about just the number of touch points that occur, the number of marketing campaigns that are being run, right? Uh, the total number of products and service offerings that are actually in the marketplace and the number of humans on the planet, right? Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous, <laughs> right? There's just not enough time. And I, I don't think people understand that time concept at, at that scale. Right. right. And so in order to stand out, we've just been yelling louder instead of actually being smarter about how we yell.
3: That's right. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, this is where you know, we've been talking more and more about this idea of experience personalization, right? You, you know, clearly people have been talking about personalized marketing, personalized monogram cups, whatever can be personalized. And so the real question here is, as we moved into this world between sort of the outreach of marketing and acquisition, who are very much you know, probabilistic segment-based, right, kind of outreach, uh, and commerce, which is really around buying, yep. right? You, you have an increasing amount of interactions that people are really trying to get into there you know it, it sums down to i think one phrase which is me is not just about buying online it's about being able to shop to learn to compare to be inspired to be taught something you didn't know uh, online and so when you look at the interactions and the fact that so much of your branded experience is happening there you really have this widening gap between where you know customers are increasingly expecting to be and where, you know, know, companies, brands, and retailers are able to deliver. Um, Let me just give you one quick example, right? I just got back from uh, from Europe, and one of the things that people are really hot on right now is the whole, how do you engage customers, really even at the top of the funnel, right? Uh, And this is where you think about search, right? Just take a simple version of search, you know, most people have 2.2 words, we actually did a quick poll in the room, and the, the retailers and brands in the room, because customers enter 2.2 words like black pants, right? <laughs> Yet over 60% of revenue comes through shoppers who pass through uh, search. Today, you know, there's just, you know, they don't know how to manage the keywords. And so how do you take those two and really say, actually, I know a lot about this person already. We know the affinities, what they, you know, the affinity towards brands, towards the fact that they're male or female, they're fashion forward, they like skinny jeans. You know, the, the, the question is, you know, not only can we actually drive and help this person find what they want. But frankly, let's say they were actually not very you know, specific, that they're actually shopping. You have to be able to detect the context yep. and say this person actually wants to be inspired. So they're actually just browsing because they have some time. And now we want to show them things that, they, that may inspire them around something they didn't even know they need. And we see this not only in the B2C world, but also in the B2B world. Uh, and all this is happening in real time, right? This is not uh, the traditional marketing and commerce uh, of like five years ago but really requiring the ability to
0: engage interactively. Um, you're, touching, you're touching upon an important point, right? Which is really uh, you can't effectively do commerce today. I'm going to make a bold statement here. Okay, let's do it. You can't, effectively, <laughs> you can't effectively do commerce today unless you understand your brand mission, right? If you don't understand your brand mission, which means not understanding what you're not good at and what you're not going to do, you're going to suck at commerce.
3: Yes, absolutely. And in fact, you know, the... The question is, how does it express itself at all these touch points? I mean, before when you had humans in the way and everyone knows the shop clerk clerk example. But the fact is, you know, 83%, you know, we're just running some numbers around from, you know, folks who've done surveys here. You know, 83% of retailers believe personal experiences differentiate them, right? This is critical. And yet 53% of those companies say they lack the tech to personalize. Uh, We already see, you know, we've run a bunch of ROI on this stuff. You know, personalized customer experiences... Really yield, you know, 76% lift in in engagement. You know, are they really engaging with the content, with the brand, Uh, as well as just 15% higher basket size? I mean, you got to make choices. Uh, Certainly, you have to be able to guide the customer, uh, but also increasingly at these points of interaction, leverage, you know, systems and intelligence to really provide that level of experience personalization.
0: That really helps move that relationship with the customer forward. But we also have a big gap between marketing and commerce. Oh, man, right? yeah. I mean, And the problem is there are two different systems, even though they should be one system, <laughs> right? And, and the problem is they're, they're using different profiles, right? And and they don't talk to each other. But but that gap between marketing and commerce is is probably one of the biggest barriers that folks are, are facing. How, how should people look at that? Because you've been talking a lot about this as well. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because this is where the
3: you know so often our customers are confused because they think well yeah there's personalized marketing uh and i've got this omnichannel commerce doing frictionless commerce stuff but in reality we almost need a new vocabulary let me let's give me some words that marketing typically owns and see if this actually drives you a little bit like marketing we have declarative you know predetermined declarative journeys right (laughs) the probabilistic segments Um, And frankly, even on the channels, I mean, people, marketing solutions have been like clouds. Why are they clouds? Because they're sucking everything into them. So I can now have my mobile, I can have my, you know, in-store, et cetera. But to them, this is just activating their journeys into channels. And you need that. And you also, you know, and and the marketing owns a word like experimentation, right? Because they have to. They, They have to deal in the world of abstractions. They have long lead time data. I mean, long lag type data right? They have to deal in the world of abstractions. So they're dealing with products and segments and content and approaches. But when you start getting down to the you know, personalization side, individualization, this is where it's not just push, but it's more interactive. You know, how do you get consistent across those
0: touch points, not just points where you have commerce, not And we're not going to be able to do this manually. Well, right? no, and, 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 and this is, and this is where we're seeing like that, that impact to having uh, the data, the predictive analytics in place kind of funnel into where, where ML and, ML and, and artificial intelligence might move. Uh, what do you see as some of those trends?
3: Oh, absolutely. So there's a couple things going on. First of all, uh, the question around ML is that it, you know, algorithms are cheap. Everyone can pick up an algorithm. Of course, data, and there's a whole different conversation we have about data, data co-ops, and where's the data for everyone else who's not Amazon or, or, or Apple, etc. But you know, one of the things that's really clear to us as we start thinking about how do you personalize how do you personalize the entire experience around the customer, the whole life cycle? It's more than just like product recommendation. You have to have the, uh, uh, an, uh, uh, an AI approach that actually can be multi-context. Oh, yeah. They that that, that have to be able to uh, be know when you're in the replenishment stage for, as well as when you're cross-selling and you're upselling. Right. Yeah. You, you get be, you, you get to know so the buying
0: ahead. stage, you gotta know Absolute. the attributes, you gotta know things like context around weather or time or location, the situational awareness that happens in the back end.
3: Well certainly you know? I mean if there are five things to talk about personal you know, the, the memorable experience it gets to consistency, it has to be super in context and be able to detect and recognize those digital signals. It has to be uh, self-learning, because there's no way that you can personalize that scale. And finally, you know, certainly you have to be uh, able to get individualized in, in terms of What is that set of recommendations? But, you know, I'd say one thing that people often forget around AI is that it has to be explainable. It has to be, you know, this white box that is open because ultimately it is the branding strategies that have to come through. You have to be able to inspire customers. And this is where people often forget when we talk about AI-based strategies that the machine can actually drive conversion. It can drive uh, customers down a path because it's what they think they want. And it's very recognizable to the customer because those are showing they're, they're buying signals and we're detecting that in real time across all their channels. Of course we do all the basics, right?
0: But yeah, it, no, no, it, and then, and then, no, but we're seeing that too. Right. And and part of that having AI done the right way is it's uh, the explainable being transparent, right? Human driven. Um, those three elements are, are part of the things that we're seeing in these new types of ML AI ethics that are important, but, but more importantly, it's, it's, Understanding the nuance, right? These machines, these systems take a long time to train and to understand, like, why you do something. The patterns aren't always consistent. Humans are irrational, right? So, we're trying to find some level of rationality to, or some kind of probability around why something occurs and giving people choices to kind of then incur those.
3: Well, it's also, you know, a big believer of man and machine. This is where the augmented humor is certainly greater than the machine itself. I mean, I think, example like Barney's, you know, we've been working with you know, some of the leading and innovative brands and retailers, whether it's like Burberry's, um, through the Tesco's of the world, on the whole scale of folks we work with. And you know, folks like Barney's really take it to the next level. Sure, you can let the machine, you let the AI drive down to what people would want to click on. But the promise, the brand promise of Barney's is to inspire, to actually be your your brand lead, to be your sort of like your tastemaker, if I could put it in other words. And hence, how do you actually let the machine let the AI help guide the customers through your content, through the products that you have. But then when, when it gets to certain areas, how do you actually put the guidelines that the, that the AI will follow that will help express your brand at that touch point? And really say, this is where we think Fashion Forward is going and what would fit well on you. You know, just like, you know, the Steve Jobs, right? He didn't ask, right? He actually guided. <laughs> In this case, uh, I think it's even you who, gave, who actually said this to me. And I love this line, Ray. Which is, it's the deliberate choice of friction that defines your brand
0: and that brand experience. And it's absolutely true. Well, sure, yeah. you, can go you choose where forward. you want friction. Some of the, the friction choose. is an engagement. The friction part is an engagement, but you have to make sure it's meaningful friction. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> if it's not meaningful friction, you are screwed. Right? So Rico's got a good point here on, on our chat. He's saying basically, uh, you know, is it mission or purpose? It's also purpose, too. It is. Right. It and, and so part of it is, is, is making sure that that experience ties back to that mission and purpose. Well, because products and, and services are commoditized
3: and people are buying, customers are buying on the full product. They want to know it's sourcing. I mean, let's take a look at Nike and how they just killed it recently with their social program. They put out their shoes, uh, their latest uh, uh, shoe online uh, via social channels, sold out, right? But this is where you start really expressing your brand. Is shoe locker or Foot Locker going to hold your entire spectrum? Are they going to express your brand and interact with the customers that lead them to say, when I want to you know, uh, put you know, something that expresses my personality on my feet, who do I think of first? And I, you know, who's going to guide me and educate me? Who's going to actually recommend and surprise me? Who's going to push me to the brands that I think are going to be next year's look? Right. And this is where, you know, Nike is killing it in terms of just being able to to fold in an experience and be able to reach across from retail and pull in the, uh, the customer and leverage experience to do so. And I think you're going to see more and more brands, especially as micro niching and you have portfolio brands uh, start to have to really think about how do they engage across retail as well as direct to really uh,
0: continue to be relevant uh, in tomorrow's in tomorrow's marketplace. Right. And and we've seen that, like low volume, micro 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 segments, low volume production, almost right. a, a custom order, custom delivery. I mean, those things are also picking up. So we know personalization is important. Here's the challenge though. We all know it's important, right? Yeah. It goes wrong all the time. It does. Right? Why does it go wrong? Like we already <laughs> know the answers, right? We know it's supposed to happen this way, and, and it still goes wrong. Well, you know, first it's a reframing of the
3: problem and what is the goal. And I think one of the one of the things that people have been confused about is frictionless commerce. I mean, again, where, where did product recommendations, like where we all started? I mean, I'm not sure if you remember, I think I may have shared with you earlier that you know, Rich Relevance, we actually started from the team that was the first team at Amazon to create their whole recommendation platform. Uh, this was their third attempt and these guys put together and they said, we should do this in a better way for everyone out there and that's what we've done. We work with now 200 of the world's largest uh, and, and most innovative brands and retailers out there to really help them uh, do, you know, really push personalization. But for, you know, at the beginning, it was all around, how do I get someone to navigate, right? I'm at the <laughs> top of the funnel, and actually, there's something I didn't put in my, I forgot to check out on. How do I navigate them straight to the checkout? I'm midway through the funnel, and there's some associated products. I want them to check out and, and move directly down the funnel by making some recommendations of products that they may want to buy at that point in time
0: but it's very different right that's not what people are at today remember remember web commerce it was was about beacons shopping cart abandonment right path to profits (laughs) Well, I
3: mean, and and, and frankly like you said the frictionless commerce is about like clicking through let me give you like the the, just a a metric example search get back to search and personalized search people think that if i end up from search and into a purchase perfect i've hit my metrics that person took 14 searches to get to where he wanted to get to. <laughs> is he coming back to you again? The no. answer is no. Right. no. So <laughs> when you think about you know, how do you make sure that they have a learning experience so they know that every time they touch you, you're learning something about them. So the next time you have a conversation with them, you're more relevant. And so frictionless commerce is not the goal. It's just table stakes. And of course, you know, the, you know, if we talk about the basics, organizationally, we know this is, this is fragmented. I was just working with some of our largest uh, retailers and brands out in uh, Europe, and marketing and commerce are still very too much two organizations. You know, commerce coming at it with the, we have all the data and the marketing doesn't understand how to drive revenue. And marketing coming at it from the, how do we drive journeys and how do we actually increase brand awareness and be top of mind at point of need, right? And really, it, it is things like experience personalization, which is actually now starting to bring them together. Right now it's around how do I express the brand to fundamentally push customers forward and seeing how much that changes the net present value of that customer, right? How has it changed his buying behavior now that I've moved him and pushed him down certain paths, right, and now I've chosen only very specific paths because I let the AI take on the rest of the paths and now I make the choice of deliberately where the friction is. Of course, that gets back to fragmented systems. Uh, With every organization, Fragmented systems, fragmented data sets. They're not even talking to the same customer. Certainly, have seen some large platforms where you know, they have multiple like, pieces of Adobe, for instance. And they all have to rationalize, even within themselves, Like, who is that customer? And how do I try to tie together those pieces? Whereas you know, personalization uh, solutions like ourselves let you leverage you know, this pile of data you're sitting on day one and increasingly leverage uh, that to innovate on top of.
0: Wow. Insights on marketing and commerce con- conversion from Mike Knee. Oh, you know, Rich Relevance. You can follow him at Mike Nee. No, this has been really offered Off. This has been off. This is like awesome, and we should do this more often. And uh, it's uh, one of those things um, that you know that, that's that's hitting everybody right now, right? Because at the end of the day, right? If you don't have a click or you don't have a conversion uh, or a sale, it doesn't even matter. Like that's all your true. efforts around CRM, customer experience, it doesn't matter. And so we're talking about this new concept around experience personalization. And definitely follow Mike. Uh, and uh, at Mike Nee. And uh, thanks so much for being on the show today, Mike. It was a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. So we are on episode number 98 on the official count uh, from Aubrey. And uh, next week, we've got some awesome guests. Val Ashra will be back co-hosting. Uh, Dan Adkla, uh, CEO and co-founder of WalkMe. Eric Yen, founder and CEO at Zoom will also be here. And Natasha Freitas, founder at NeedsList. Uh, if it's 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m., Eastern on a Friday. It's time for Disrupt TV show. Please be here and uh, definitely catch up our old episodes uh, at our website. You can follow us at constellationr.com and see what's happening there. And of course, follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV show. And of course, Val and I can be found at v a l a a f s h a r. If you track him now, you've seen that he's hanging at the Vatican uh, doing a little hackathon. And uh, you can follow me at R-W-A-N-G zero. See you next week. And thank you for being on the show you. Mm-hmm.